What's going on, everyone? Welcome into the newest episode of Scoing Long. I'm your host, Zach Neal. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to officially announce that spring football season has begun. At least in my mind, it has. We got a text today from the Oregon SID, the sports information director, announcing when the first couple of Oregon practices would take place and when the uh, when the pro day is going to take place in March. So while we've been asked to keep those dates under wraps for the time being, uh, it is with great pleasure that I can officially say that I think the spring season is finally here, in my mind at least. To celebrate that fact, we are going to have a football-heavy show today. We're going to look at the biggest storylines and questions going into spring ball for the Ducks. It can be new players, returning players, transfers, new coaches, all of that. We're going to touch on a little bit of all of that. So I will give you my biggest storylines and what I'm looking for, and uh, we will get into it all. Before we do that, I want to take a quick second to quickly touch on basketball. It's uh, it's not enough for an entire segment, but I would be remiss if I didn't mention at least how impressed I've been with what Kelly Graves and that women's basketball team is doing and what they've done over the past week. Uh, last episode, I was pretty down on them, for sure. They had lost seven straight. They lost nine of their last ten games, and they really didn't look like a tournament team. But since then, the Ducks have won their final two games of the regular season. They upset number 14, Arizona, in impressive fashion. And then they, they finished it out on Saturday with a blowout over Arizona State. All of this without Grace Van Sluten, uh, one of their best players. So Tahina Pow Pow was incredible. Taylor Hosendove was awesome. India Rogers, Philly Che, Kennedy Basham, they all deserve a ton of recognition and a ton of credit for the way they really stepped up and played over the past couple of games. It really looks like this team could be getting hot at the right time. I know that's a, a cliche, but it's it's one for a reason because, you know, while they still have a really tough outlook in the Pac-12 tournament as a number nine seed, they've got a really tough path to that, that Pac-12 championship. I wouldn't want to be a team that's facing the Ducks right now. I mean, the way that they're playing, the way that they looked in these past few games, it's just I I was really impressed by what I saw, and it's they're kind of playing... At the moment, they're playing at their ceiling, I think, and what we believe their ceiling could be. I don't know if they're going to get Grace Van Sluten back in the tournament. That's still kind of up in the air. It's It seems doubtful that she comes back this next week. But, you know, if they make March Madness and they make the NCAA tournament, I think she could be a factor for them. So um, if they keep playing like this, they could they could absolutely be a tournament team, too. I, I kind of brushed over that. But, um, you know, it was, it was a question mark a week ago whether or not they belonged in the NCAA tournament. And if they got in, whether they would be able to do anything, you know, with with one of those 64 seeds. So, um, but at this point, if they keep playing like this, then there's someone that, you know, could absolutely make some noise in March. I mean, they've got the talent, they've got the players, they've absolutely got the coaching with Kelly Graves. Uh, I, you know, it's it's exciting. You know, we we could talk about the men's team. There's not really anything new to talk about. I the last uh, bracketology that was updated has them off of the bubble. I mean, they they beat Oregon State over the weekend, but they're still not in the bubble. So for them, it's going to be Pac-12 championship or NIT. And, you know, they could get hot like the women's team at the right time and make a run through that Pac-12 tournament. But to be completely honest, I don't really see it. Uh, but, you know, hopefully that surprises me and hopefully they can turn something around and, and get something going and we get two teams in March Madness. But right now I'm just focused on the women's team. I've been really impressed by what I saw. Uh, with all that being said, it's time for some football. Thank you for tuning in, and let's get into it.
All right, it is about 2.30 p.m. on Tuesday afternoon, and like I said in the intro, we are officially in spring football season now, at least in my mind. Yes, practices are still a couple of weeks away, but we are, we're close enough to where I can reasonably talk about football storylines and consider them, you know, present topics rather than something that's far away off in the future. So to celebrate, we are going to talk some storylines for the Ducks today and kind of kind of start getting the momentum going for the spring season and start, you know, getting into the swing of things and, and figure out what's going on with this team. The biggest topics of conversation, the biggest questions surrounding the team, the biggest things that I will be paying attention to in spring practice. Uh, those are the things we're going to talk about today. Before we do that, I want to offer a real quick update on Treshawn Holden. Uh, the Alabama transfer wide receiver was reinstated to the team last week. Dan Lanning said in a statement, um, they got more information from, you know, EPD and the, the Lane County Department of Justice. And um, they they decided that, you know, after charges were not filed in the arrest and in the incident, um, that once they learned more about the situation, they decided to bring him back on. So um, that's a huge development for the roster, huge development, because it, it likes the, likely gives you a, you know, a starting wide receiver back, someone that you lost from that starting lineup, projected at least, we expected him to be. Somewhere in that starting lineup, so um, I'm, you know, I'm happy with the move from with the the little that I know about, you know, what actually happened. Um, I think it's a really, really big news for the roster. It's definitely good when you just talk about the X's and O's. This is a, a big piece for the Ducks to have back. And in the end, you just, you know, when we don't know that much about the situation, we're dealing with a lot of conjecture. You just got to trust in Dan Lanning, and he if he thought that it was the right move to bring him back, then you absolutely have to trust him. You you think that he is putting the team in the best place to succeed, and, and he's making the right decision here. So um, just a quick update on that. I think that was a really, really good development for the team. All right, now on to the storylines. I'm going to give you my five biggest storylines or questions uh, that I have going into spring football, ranked from, from five to, to first, so... Starting with number five, uh, let's talk about the overall health of the Oregon roster in spring ball. I think that's, you know, not the most important thing to talk about, but definitely something that should be up there and should be on people's minds. Are there any major injuries that, that hold players out of spring ball? That should be the, you know, the first question. When we get there on, on day one and, and we watch players walk into practice, is there anyone that's not completely suited up or in a walking boot or in a sling or something like that? Is Bo Nix, is he 100% healthy? I mean, how was that ankle doing after the end of last year? We saw that after the Holiday Bowl, I mean, even in the Holiday Bowl, he was not 100%. He was healthier than he was against Oregon State, but he was not 100%. It wasn't the the completely mobile bow that we saw previous to that. So I'm just curious to see if he's got his, his full range of motion, his full mobility back. It's not a not a huge concern if he doesn't because, you know, Injuries that take place in spring or injuries that are being dealt with in spring, those aren't major problems because, you know, you still have several months to, to rehab and heal before the actual season starts. So, but, you know, that's something that I'm definitely looking at. And Bo's probably near the top of the list. I, I'll go ahead and say that Bo is at the top of the list of players that I, I want to make sure are fully healthy going into the season. What about Justin Jacobs, the the Iowa linebacker transfer? He tore his ACL early on last year, missed the majority of the season. You know, we don't we don't know the latest on his health. What does he look like? I mean, how how close to full you know capacity? How close to full one hundred percent is he? Uh, is that still limiting him at this point in spring? You know, is that something that's still going to take a little bit longer to to heal up? 
Last year, we had guys like Brandon Dorless and Steve Stevens not at full strength in spring ball. I mean, Dorless, I believe, was in a sling. I think Steve Stevens, if I remember correctly, got healed up near the end of spring ball and played in the spring game. I'm I'm not quite, I may be misremembering on that, but, you know, those are good examples of guys that can be dinged up in spring, but still, you know, that doesn't mean that they're they're in jeopardy of missing the season at all, depending on the injury. So uh, that's just something, the overall health of the team and the health of the roster going into spring and in the spring game. And I mean, who who's able to, to get those reps, those really valuable reps in Autzen Stadium, April 29th, who's able to get that, you know, semi-live action against uh, against the other guys on the team and actually, you know, get that really good experience. So uh, number five on the list, definitely overall health uh, going into spring ball. Next on the list, I've got what does the offensive line look like? Uh, I think that is probably one of the biggest variables for this team going into into the 2023 season because they've got to replace four starters on that offensive line. I know we've talked about it a lot. It's kind of been a big subject of conversation, and I think rightfully so. Uh, what is the vibe like with this this position group? What is the vibe like with you know new offensive line coach Aleek Terry and assistant offensive line coach Mike Kavanaugh. I know that that Kavanaugh hire was uh, reported after we talked last, so I'll get to a little bit about him. He's he's coming to Oregon as an offensive analyst, spent the last two years with Arizona State. Over, uh, I believe it's over 35 years of coaching experience at the college level. He was Adrian Klim's former offensive line coach down in Hawaii, so um, really, really great addition to the staff by Coach Lanning. Um, if you want to learn more about him, I've got a really good piece up on Duckswire that's seven things you know, need to know about him. So um, I won't go too, too deep into Kavanaugh, but, you know, it's it's guys like that. There's a lot of really new pieces and unproven pieces on this offensive line. Where do guys like Josh Connolly and a Johnny Cornelius slot? Uh, you know, does Jackson Powers Johnson go center or guard? Is Marcus Harper, who's the lone returning starter from 2022 is he still left guard is that where you slot him when he's you know he can kind of play wherever you want because there's not not those returning starters that he has to compete with so and then what do you do with steven jones or junior angle out the the transfer from texas um you know where do they go and i i put out a a depth chart prediction on duckswire on monday morning where you know i i kind of showed where i think some of these guys are going to land uh, you can go find that at Duckswire, but it's just I'm really curious to see where where each of these guys slot in. I think that you probably know at least four of your five starters, maybe all five starters if you were to take a guess, but I'm just curious in what positions they're really going to play. Another really interesting thing is, you know, is Sir Mel's, is he going to play on offense? He's He came to Oregon last year as a true freshman, um, you know, as a defensive lineman, but he obviously redshirted, didn't see any of the field, but there was pictures this last week of the Ducks at practice, and, and Mel's was wearing a white offensive jersey. So I'm curious to see if he's going to, you know, be like that Jackson Powers Johnson where he switches from OL to DL or, um, you know, where he really plays on that line. Um I it's just that's a, a curious thing for me to to see what he's going to end up doing. There are just there are so many unknowns on the offensive line right now. There's a lot of talent to fill the the holes that they need to, but there's a lot of holes to fill. And I think that this is a, a major topic of conversation for a reason because it's among the most important questions for the Ducks to answer. Because you know the offensive line is at the heart of the run game. The offensive line is at the heart of keeping Bo Nix healthy. Uh, making sure that he can stay in a clean pocket and deliver the ball downfield. I mean, 
we know that if he has to get out of the pocket and scramble and use his feet, he's very good at that. He's, I mean, that's no problem for him. But for any quarterback in any offense, you want your quarterback to to not have to do that and to do that out of desire and not out of necessity. So I think figuring out the starting five for the offensive line is going to be really important. We will probably not get the full answer in spring, but it'll give you us it'll give us a really good snapshot into what this position group is going to look like going into fall camp. Number three on the list, what does that wide receiver room look like? And what does the wide receiver hierarchy look like? I know I talked about this a lot already over the past few episodes, but I really want to see what players and who steps up alongside Troy Franklin at wide receiver two and wide receiver three and how they kind of build out that rotation. Um, you know, I, I already mentioned that offensive depth chart projection that I have up on Duckswire. Uh, spoiler alert, I have Franklin at wide receiver one. Obviously, I've got Treshawn Holden starting, and I've also got Tez Johnson starting uh, over Chris Hudson. That may seem like, you know, going out on a bit of a limb, but I, you know, I think that Tez Johnson's kind of getting overlooked as one of the more, I don't want to say one of the most impactful transfers that, that Oregon got this offseason, but one of the more promising. I think that, you know, the fact that he came from Troy, uh, has a lot of people overlooking him to start. I think that he could be a real difference maker uh, this year for Oregon's offense. Remember, I mean, according to Pro Football Focus, he was the second highest graded receiver in all of uh, football last year. I mean, that full stop, that's it. Not just the Power Five, not in whatever conference he was in. Second highest graded wide receiver in all of football behind Ohio State's Marvin Harrison Jr., who was, you know, arguably I would say the best receiver in college football I don't think he won the Blitnikoff but you know he was right up there he's going to be one of the top draft picks when he goes in the NFL so uh, I think that Tez is being overlooked a little bit I'm just I can't wait to see what he does in spring ball because if you don't know he's the adopted brother of Bo Nix he's played with Bo Nix before there's there's really they've got a great relationship already there's not going to be there's not going to need to be that like feeling out period between receiver and quarterback. They know each other already very well. Obviously, they know how to play with each other. So I'm really excited to see what he can do in this offense. And I'm excited. I think he's probably going to be a starter. Um, I wouldn't at all be shocked to see him get the number two job behind Chris Hudson that why that slot position. But um, I'm I'm excited to see what he can do. And again, you know, can some of the young guys step up and can they compete for minutes? I think that there's a lot of hype surrounding guys like Kyler Casper. Can he push for a starting role in his second year of the team? He was a, a 2022 recruit, originally a 2023 recruit that reclassified and came to, came to the team last year and, and kind of got his feet wet a little bit. Uh, he redshirted, didn't see much much of the field at all. I don't I don't believe he saw any any minutes last year. I could be wrong on that, but... He's someone who I think that, you know, now that he's he's got a year under his belt and has learned, he's someone who I will be watching definitely in spring ball because he's got a frame that not many people on that Oregon roster have, and he can he can really bring something to the offense. I think if he sees his ceiling here, I'm just curious to see if that'll be this year. Uh, unfortunately, we won't get to see, you know, five-star wide receiver jury on Dickey this spring. He is not in, in Eugene for spring ball. He did not enroll early, so we'll have to wait till summer to see what he can do. That's a, I mean, a whole conversation for, for how excited you know everybody is. I would say that how excited I am, but I am certainly not alone in, in being thrilled to see what he can do with the Ducks. But I can't wait to see someone like Ashton Cozart in person. You know, another, another incoming true freshman wide receiver who his footwork and his, his highlight on tapes 
it's just incredible. I mean, seeing the the type of route runner he is and seeing what he can do, you know, just just getting off the line and getting away from defenders. I'm just I'm really excited to see what he can do, but those are the things. I don't know if those guys it's probably too ambitious to say that they're going to, you know, have a a major role as true freshmen or redshirt freshmen in in Casper's case, but I I'm excited to see them in spring ball because we don't really know what they can or cannot do yet. And I just, I can't wait to see them actually out there catching passes in person and just see what they can do and what wrinkles they could bring to this offense. That leads perfectly into number two on my list. Do any true freshmen or redshirt freshmen stand out? Uh, This is a fun one to talk about because, you know, there are so many players coming to this program right now. And that came in last year that I think people are really excited about. And I'm just curious to see what does Oregon have in terms of, you know, young guys that can break out in 2023 or 2024. Guys like I mentioned, Kyler Casper, Justice Lowe, Jaleel Tucker, Komari Terrell, you know, Devin Jackson, Harrison Taggart, Dave Ayuli. I could keep going on. I mean, there's so many guys, and those are just redshirt freshmen. That wasn't even getting into this 2023 class. There's so many guys from from last year's class that got some experience in the program. They've been with the team for a year. They know what it's like to be a college athlete right now. How are they going to take that next step? How are they going to really insert themselves into the lineup and really get into those rotation roles this second year? Uh, I think that spring's a really exciting time for that because you get to see what these guys have been working on over the offseason, their first real offseason in college football. That's a time when a lot of people make you know some real, real notable improvements, and they really find parts of their game that, that were missing or, or something they could really improve off of. They've finally got a year of college coaching, so um, I'm excited to see some of those redshirt freshmen. Then there's also true freshmen, like I mentioned, Ashton Cozart, uh, Dante Dowdell, the, the four-star running back I'm really high on, Mateo Uyengalale, Johnny Bowens, defensive lineman. I mean, those are just a few guys that, again, I'm I'm super excited to see what they can do at the college level because obviously we've been we've been really high on on their tape and we've seen what they've done at a high school level and it's it's very impressive but once they get up against other d1 athletes i mean how are they still really special players i expect them to be i you know i don't see why they couldn't be i mean obviously dan lanning and the the entire staff is recruiting them to be those special players but this is the time when we finally get to see you know training wheels off a little bit go up against these you know starting defensive linemen or starting cornerbacks in in Cozart's case or starting linebackers in Dante Dowdell's case you know how how does it look against these these really good players another guy I really want to see is QB Austin Novoset I you know I can't wait to see him in person and see how his arm looks and see if he's able to you know make some of these throws if I want to see him take a, a three to five five step drop and hit a, a fifteen yard comeback route on the outside across the sideline or across the across the hash marks and um, I'm I'm just curious to see because you know we all love looking quarterbacks we all loved we did this exact same thing with Ty Thompson when he came in we couldn't wait to see the throws he could make the throws he couldn't make yet what he still needed to do uh, some of his decision making those are the type of things I'm looking at with Austin Novosad because. You know, by all means, he he could be in line to be Oregon's, you know, starting quarterback a year from now or two years from now after Ty Thompson leaves and Bo Nix leaves. Um, So I'm just curious to see his first few reps with the team and and see what Oregon has in him uh, as a young quarterback. 
another couple of guys that I can't wait to see are, are quarterbacks Jalen Austin and Roderick Pleasant. Uh, how do they fare in the secondary? I mean, these are two of the, the higher-rated commits, higher-rated recruits in Oregon's 2023 class. And by all means, they look to have really bright futures with the Ducks. I'm just curious to see how quickly can those those careers start. You know, uh, Dalen Austin is someone that I Dan Lanning is. He put a video out once Austin committed, talking about how excited he was, um, how how he just had to have him on his team for what he brings to the secondary. I'm curious to see if he can, you know, if he can find a role as part of the rotation in Oregon's defense this year. You know, I think that that's that might be a little that I'll just say it. That is ambitious. I know that's very ambitious to say, but the Ducks are searching for cornerbacks who can make a difference. They're searching for for young guys in the rotation who can come in and and prove that they belong. And while I'm not saying that the guys on the current depth chart on the current roster don't belong, I think that someone like Dalen Austin, someone like Roderick Pleasant, these highly rated recruits uh, in the defensive secondary, I think they can come in and really have an impact. Maybe not in year one, but you know, in in a, the next year or two. And I'm excited to see them, you know, in person this spring and see if they can compete for some of those rotational minutes with Pleasant as well. I mean, I'm curious to see if he's got a, a spot on the special teams as a return man for Oregon. I mean, this is arguably the fastest guy in the 2023 class. I mean, he broke California state records for the 100 meters. And I think that, you know, he had a prolific returning career uh, down in California. I think that Oregon, they might need help at some of the, you know, punt return or kick return spots. He could be someone that you plug in, you know, as a true freshman and say, Hey, we need you to make some splash plays here for special teams. Uh, I'm just I'm curious to see. I I think they'll probably use him. I'll, I think they'll probably stick him back there. We'll see that in some of the special teams drills. I don't know that he's gonna you know win that that starting kickoff return man as a true freshman, but it'll be interesting to see at least what he can do in that cer- certain scenario. Then the last thing with this this topic that I really want to see. I just, from a personal standpoint, I can't wait to see the the coach parent relationship between DB coach Demetrius Martin and and cornerback Cole Martin. Uh, yes, father son. Yes, uh, coach Meet. You know, came a year ago to the Ducks, and and Cole committed not too long after. But I had the pleasure of talking to Cole and and having an interview with him on Ducks Wire last year. Uh, really, really impressed by the kid. Really good head on his shoulders. Very humble very confident. Um, and I just, you know, I talked to him about playing for his dad and the prospect of playing for him and, and what that's going to be like. And they've got a really cool relationship and what they've been through together and, and what he's learned from his dad um, has been really, really cool. And I, I can't wait to see it, uh, just to see it play out on the football field. I know that as someone at a, a much lower level, played for my dad in sports. My dad, you know, coached us in football, coached us in baseball. Uh, you know, a lot of people think that if you're the coach's kid, you might get special treatment. But I would be the first to say, and I know that Cole would say this, Cole did say this as well, that no, his dad just goes harder on him than a lot of the other players because he wants, he wants the most out of him. So um, just seeing Demetrius in a position where he's, Got to bark at Cole a little bit and really, really get after him as one of his own players. I think that's going to be a lot of fun to watch, and I think that's a really cool, a really cool personal story. Um, you know, we we talk about X's and O's a lot. This is really one of the things that I'm looking at. That's not necessarily outside of football, but that doesn't have to do with the game as much. I just I really want to see how those two interact with each other.
Okay, the number one thing on my list, how dominant can Jordan Birch be for Oregon's defense this season and really starting out in the spring is, is when I want to see it. This one's at the top of my list because, you know, while it may be really specific, I think that this has the chance to be among the most impactful developments for Oregon this offseason. I mean, anyone that's listening to this podcast, watch, watches Oregon games, reads stuff at Duckswire, you know that the Ducks got slammed last year for having, you know, uh, let's just say it, a bad defense. I mean, they were they were not good by any means, by any statistics, any rankings. And in particular, they had a pretty, you know, a lot of people think they had a really porous secondary that struggled to stop the pass a lot. And yes, the, you know, like I said, the stats did not look good. But to be entirely fair, not all of that should go on the secondary. A lot of that is because Oregon's defensive line was unable to get consistent pressure on the quarterback last year. And that is one of the number one things that's going to hurt a defensive secondary is when you give a quarterback all the time in the world back in the pocket to pick apart a defense, you know, that's they're going to find open receivers. That's just you're playing seven on seven at that point. And it's, it's going to be really tough to try and stop them. So... Last year, the Ducks had 18 sacks in the entire 2022 season. That ranked 123rd out of 131 FBS teams. Uh, they had sacks on 3% of their passing plays. That's a 127th ranked sack percentage, again, out of 131 teams. You know, I mean, those stats alone just show you that this team was not up to par when it came to putting pressure on the quarterback. And that's not to say that the secondary deserves no blame, but not all of it is on them. I mean, one contributes to the other. Yes, the secondary could have been better. The players could have been better. But you can't say that, you know, Oregon's defense was bad last year just because, you know, the Ducks couldn't stop anyone in the in the secondary. Oregon definitely needed a pass rush, and, and they didn't really get it. So does bringing a former five-star defensive end and Jordan Birch, you know, one of the number one players at his position in the transfer portal, does that change things? And how quickly does that change things? Jordan Birch had 40 QB pressures alone in 2022. He had 60 tackles and 3.5 sacks last year. I mean, those are he's the type of player that can be an absolute difference maker for the Ducks. I talked to Joey Harrington a couple weeks ago about it, and yes, it's it's really tough to predict how good he can be right away because there's so many different factors and so many different elements that, you know, how comfortable can he get in Eugene? How quickly can he get comfortable in Eugene? There's just, you can't predict all of that when he's, he's playing across the country in a place that he's never been before. But it's just, it's going to be really interesting to see how quickly he can make a statement on defense and how quickly he can get comfortable and at this point, you know, we're no longer in the situation where we're predicting what he could be. We're now on the point where we can start seeing how much of an impact he can have on this defensive line. And just the fact, I mean, he's not even someone that has to get, you know, double-digit sacks or, you know, again, 40 QB pressures this year. But the fact that if he can have, you know, just a presence on that defensive line and he can draw two defenders and open up holes for other guys— you know, him him rushing the passer with Brandon Dorless next to him, with Popo Almavai next to him, or Casey Rogers, you know, that's something I'm really excited to see because the fact that his presence on the line can draw so many other players towards him, it's going to open up avenues for other people. And if the Ducks in that defensive line can finally get pressure, you know, it's really going to show improvements in the secondary because once you're not asking those guys to cover for seven seconds while the quarterback just scans the field, I think you're going to see a, a big benefit and a, a big improvement, you know, in the secondary. So 
this spring, we finally get to see Jordan Birch on the field. We finally get to see how potentially dominant he can be in a system with Dan Lanning. Uh, you know, Dan Lanning, Tony Tuioti coaching him up. I think that thought intrigues me as much as any going into spring ball. All right, that's going to do it for us today. I know it was a relatively quick one, but I really wanted to just come on and, and kind of break the seal on some football talk. I can feel the the energy level and the interest is picking up when it comes to Oregon football as spring is around the corner. Uh, if you are still looking for more football content, I encourage you to go over to DucksWire at uh, www.duckswire.usatoday.com. I've got a lot of really good stuff up right now. Like I mentioned, I went through and projected the depth chart for both offense and defense, uh, and we could get into some spring ball predictions as we go forward. An also intriguing piece that I've got up right now is on more conference realignment for the Ducks. A new story has resurfaced over the past couple of days about the possibility of a merger between the Pac-12 and the ACC down the road, which, you know, on the surface, it's it's incredibly appealing. There's a lot that needs to happen before these talks should be taken seriously, but the end result could be a football conference with schools like Oregon, Washington, Utah, joining up with you know Clemson, Florida State, Miami, schools like that. And all the while, you get a basketball conference that has teams like Duke, North Carolina, Arizona, Oregon, Syracuse, Virginia. I mean, I could go on, so... Again, it's just an idea at the moment that Forbes reported last week is starting to generate some buzz among the higher ups at these universities. So um, there are, you know, there's a lot of things that need to happen. I know that logistics will be tough, and there's the the Granite Rights deal, and you know, there's there's a million hoops and a million dominoes that need to fall before this can happen. But it is being talked about as something that you know could be an option going forward. And while while the Pac-12 and George Klyavkov still searches for a media deal over his next few weeks, it's at least something to keep in mind that if this cherry is possible down the road in four to five years, it may it may keep some of these teams together. And um, like I said, I, I'll say it a million times that I don't know that it's likely. I don't know that I I would predict it to happen, but it's something that at least is, I think, somewhat possible and really interesting to talk about. So I went through and talked about how realistic it is on Duckswire and what a super conference. They are calling it the APAC, the Atlantic Pacific Athletic Conference. It'd kind of be like an all-coastal conference. What that would look like, I mean, it, at the point if you did a complete merger with the Pac-12 and the ACC, that would be 26 teams. Uh, that's a lot of mouths to feed, and that, that'd be a massive, massive TV deal if you had to include all of those schools. So, um, like I said, I, I'm not sure how likely it is, but it's at least a very a fun topic to talk about. So, if you're looking for some reading to do and some reading material, there you go. Next time you guys will hear from me is at the beginning of next week. I'm going to drop that episode that I recorded with JD and Shane from the Flock Pod. We recorded last week. It is an incredibly fun exercise that we went through. Uh, going through Oregon history and looking at some of the best ducks of all time with a March Madness twist on it. So I am extremely excited for that, and I know that you guys are going to love it, so stay tuned for that. Thank you guys for listening and following along. If you want to check out more of my work, you can find it all at duckswire.usatoday.com or follow me at Zachary C. Neal on Twitter. We will talk to you guys next week. Until then, take it easy. <laughs> <laughs>